You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Good. Well, great to have you on the show. What, um, yeah, tell me about your story and, and we can get into it. Sure. Um, so I can give you a little background um, on how we got to the place that we are now. Um, and that is basically that um, got married to my husband about eight years ago at this point. Um, and I had always thought that fertility might be an issue for me because my mom had a lot of trouble having me. She had endometriosis. So um, kind of had an idea it might be a challenge and it ended up being a challenge. And we... Um, we tried for a while and nothing was happening. And so we moved on to IUI and then we moved on to IVF. We actually got really lucky in the sense that we only needed to do one cycle. Um, but when we did that cycle, we, uh, I think got something like six embryos from that cycle. Uh, and we decided to implant two. Um, and it was not something that we were hugely comfortable with. Um, at the time, I was under 35 and it was our first shot at it, uh, but our doctor really strongly suggested that we implant two. Uh, so mm -hmm. we did. And it ended up that both of them took and one split. So I was actually pregnant with triplets. It was crazy. Yeah. Uh, the odds are very, very, very yeah. low that that would happen. Um, and, you know, to be honest, it was not news that we really took as good yeah. news. Um, obviously, we were thrilled to be pregnant, but we're both very, you know, we're very healthy. I'm very healthy and active. Um, however, we did not, we lived in a very small apartment at the time. Um, and then we had a lot of health concerns um, for my health and for the health of carrying three babies Absolutely. at once. So we ended up meeting with a high risk doctor um, and, you know, after a lot of back and forth talking about, you know, how we are going to move forward, we were planning to reduce the pregnancy from three to two. Okay. Um, and what ended up happening around nine weeks is the third fetus demise on its own. There was no heartbeat when I went in for the ultrasound. Okay. So we thought we were going to move ahead with twins and we were super excited. And then at my 11 week um, OB appointment, they do the nuchal scan, which is the measurement of the baby, the back of the baby's mm -hmm. neck. Um, and one of the fetuses had a high measurement. Okay. So they did testing right there on the spot. Um, they did a CBS, which is basically an early amnio. Um, and funny enough, the baby with the high nuchal, which is now our son, came back completely normal. Um, but the other fetus came back with a genetic abnormality mm. um, that we were not expecting and that we were not prepared for. Um, and that kind of sent us into another tailspin oh, wow. of meeting with a geneticist and, um, you know, talking a lot with our doctor and sort of figuring out a plan to move forward. Um, and we did decide that it, we did not feel it would be fair to raise um twins side by side they were both boys um one having a very very obvious difference than the mm -hmm. other um and it you know there's a whole host of health concerns and a whole lot of other things that went into our decision um and it was terrible and awful and obviously not something that we ever thought a decision we ever thought we would have mm -hmm. to make 
But for the health of our son, we felt like it was the best decision to move forward and to reduce the pregnancy down Mm -hmm. to one, uh, which we did end up doing. And thankfully, we are, you know, hindsight, it was a good decision because we ended up having a lot of complications with my son's pregnancy. I ended up delivering early. I had a lot of placental problems. Um, He came at 34 weeks. He was growth restricted, so he was very tiny. Mm but he ended up doing great and he's wonderful. How old is he now? He's five. So that was not an ideal way. That's very traumatic. It was hugely dramatic. Yeah. And do you feel comfortable sharing the genetic disorder? Yes, I do. It was Kleinfeld. Um, The geneticist that we spoke to, who was a a very highly regarded, um, very well-known geneticist, sat down with us for a couple hours and really went over things with us and basically said we were in the grayest of the gray zones because there are some abnormalities that it's a much clearer path in terms of like health. You know, a lot of people choose to terminate. Kleinfelter's is um, interesting because it's a livable condition. Mm-hmm. However, there are a lot of things associated with it. Um, there's sterility, there's, you know, you don't produce testosterone, um, there's a depression, you know, a lot of side effects mm-hmm. like that. And from her work, about 60% of her patients, I guess, uh, chose to terminate and about 40% did mm-hmm. not. So it was about even. For us, you know, obviously a decision that we feel very confidently that we made correctly for ourselves, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, terrible to have to be in that position and to not, you know, know sort of the the right path forward. Um, The other thing is that, like I said, it was two boys, um, you know, twin boys. And we felt like having one quote unquote normal child and one that was not to grow up in that parallel, you know, childhood and young adulthood experience, it would be very, very tough. Um, We also had some concerns because my son with the high nuchal measurement also puts you at risk for a congenital heart defect, which he ended up not Mm -hmm. having. But at the time we didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So we thought we might have a child with, you know, heart concerns or health concerns. Uh, We have to talk to a pediatrician who said it's fine filters for a boy is a very, very tough Mm -hmm. road. So as it was a non-mosaic abnormality, so it tends to present differently in different people, but ours would have been more severe. So yeah. And did you listen to the podcast episode? Yeah. Okay. Um, Eloise. Yeah. Kleinfelters runs a big spectrum and many people do not know they have it. Um, But in the more severe cases, it's very, very apparent. It can change your body shape. Men can develop, um, you know, like woman body features. So like a larger breast area and larger hips and, um, you know, height can be affected. Intelligence can be affected. There's a lot of um, delays that go along with it. And it was not anything we saw coming. We had no history. I, looking back, we should have done genetic testing on the embryos, but it was not recommended to, to okay, us at the time. Okay. We were in New York City. I was at the, the, if not the second top clinic. You know, we weren't at a, you know, small town kind of establishment. Okay, okay, um, yeah. We should have tested, but we didn't. Um, You're right. Each clinic is different in how they determine who should test and who shouldn't. And yeah, so it's, yeah, it was also six years Yeah, ago. exactly. So much has changed. Very yeah. different now. Yeah. Well, tell me what you'd like to talk about in, on the show. Yeah. So after that experience, which was obviously Very quite traumatic. traumatic, we kind of took a little time off um, and we knew we wanted to grow our family to uh, a second child, but we sort of took a break for a little bit. Uh, and then we did try naturally and I had a few miscarriages and then we had two embryos left from that IVF cycle that were healthy. We ended up having to go back and test the batch that we had. Um, and we got two healthy ones from that first batch. 
Um, and we did try transfers with both of those. And those were also, I also miscarried. So there was four miscarriages <laughs> in the span of probably three years or so. <sighs> so more trauma yes. to add to that. Uh, and then we kind of moved our thinking to, okay, we could continue to move forward with the fertility. But to be honest, we were, my husband and I were both in a place where I had had enough. He had had enough. We'd only really done one cycle. The repercussions and all the things that had happened since Mm -hmm. then, I just couldn't. um, And he was very supportive with, you know, me being done. And, you know, luckily we were on the same page. So we moved to thinking about other ways to grow grow our family. And after a lot of thinking and research, um, we did decide on domestic infant adoption. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we moved forward with that. Um, And that is kind of where we are now. So that was about two years ago that we, so we are awaiting family at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But to be honest, like, and this is, you know, this was the impetus for writing to you. I feel like in the past six or so months, um, you know, our son is getting older. He's in kindergarten now. He's a lot more independent. Kind of the baby days are are farther behind mm-hmm. us. Um, and I've also spent a lot of time really diving into sort of the adoption experience, mm-hmm. um, which is how I found your show mm-hmm. and how I found a couple other um, similar Instagram pages and podcasts that I've really kind of started listening really hard to the adoptee voice. Um, what does that mean? What is the loss that you know comes along with being adopted? And and our agency, to their credit, has been amazing about educating us. I don't think they have dropped the ball in any way. It's more that my husband and I really, as time went on, started kind of just getting into mm-hmm. it more. Um, you know, talking to more people and reading more books and becoming more educated. Um, now we're kind of having second thoughts if it's something that we want okay. to do. Um, you know, both because our lives are moving forward with one child and, and it's, you know, the farther away you get from those baby days, the easier it is to be like, well, maybe, maybe we'll just have yeah. one. Um, but also because, you know, what I've been learning and reading and, and just sort of absorbing about the loss behind adoption mm-hmm. and how the trauma and the sadness and it just has really given me pause and my husband pause as well to say, like, is this something that we are okay with and is this something that we want to mm-hmm. forward with for our family or do we just do we just have one yeah. child? um so that's kind of where we are taking that pause and reading what you've done is is so important and yeah so you go into it with your eyes wide open i feel like certain facebook groups some with just hopeful adoptive or adoptive parents and then some mixed triad groups And I feel like the tone is so different. (laughs) You know, the hopeful adoptive parent groups are much, much different than the mixed triad groups. Um, It's a very different message. It's less like what I like to say, rainbows and unicorns and more, you know, real life experience and, you know, more hurt and more anger and all of those things. And and I get it. Mm -hmm. Listen, I get it. Um, I think the social construct around adoption is very different then if you ask an adoptee, you don't, you know, their feelings on it. I feel like once you see it and once your eyes are open to it, you can't unsee mm-hmm. it. And that's kind of what I'm really struggling with. And then on the flip side of that, we're like, but you know, we are a great family and we are, you know, very educated and we are very open to, you know, supporting our child, however he or she needs to be supported. And so like, should we continue with that? I feel like we're kind of stuck on a hamster mm-hmm. wheel. Oh yeah. You know, there's, 
so many concerns and doubts and there's so many unknowns. You know, when you yeah. read about the loss that's involved in the trauma in adoption, it can be very overwhelming. And there's a yeah. lot of books written about yeah. the trauma and the the wounding. And I believe that was a reaction to the way that adoption was handled, you know, a hundred years ago. It was kept as a secret and women were shipped off to have babies in, yeah. in secret. Yes, I read The Girls Who Went Away and it was horrifying. It's so sad. You know, it's everything so reactive. We react to the history. And I think that we swung to a place where, you know, now it's about information about the adoptees' rights and information, giving information to parents and making sure that they're well-informed and giving a voice to all of that that was silenced for so long. And yeah. so I think you have that. And then, you know, there's healing. Healing is always available to people. I think yeah. the voice of healing is less prevalent. And yeah, the, the healing that can happen around adoption and in families is incredible and uh, profound. It does take a certain skill set that you can develop over the mm -hmm. years to learn to, to be that family that, you know, that heals essentially. We are, we are one of those families and we adopted our daughter at yeah. 16 months old and, you know, it was not an easy road. You know, I learned so much along the way. So that's kind of my voice in this field is to show that people, there is a way to heal, yeah. but to see both sides with the parents and the kids perspective and to see where a lot of times you've both been through trauma. Parents have been through infertility yeah. trauma a lot of the times, yeah. and then the children have had losses too. So we're talking about loss and grief and compounded mm -hmm. loss and grief in families that have experienced infertility and adoption or infertility and donor conception. You can have it where it's almost like the grief is amplified if it's not healed. Yeah. And so it's all about yeah. healing, really. Yeah. And I think on our side of it, I mean, we've done a lot of work on the healing and, you know, on the trauma and of all that. Like, I feel like we've worked hard, like both within our relationship and within just like individually, you know, through therapy and through just like talking about it. And, you know, for me, I'm pretty open about it. I know, you know, my story raises a lot of eyebrows and, and kind of because I faced infertility, I first, I faced like a pregnancy termination, I've, you know, which is a whole issue mm -hmm. in itself. I faced miscarriage. Like I've kind of taken it from all mm -hmm. angles, but um, for me, the way that I got through that was to be open it, to the sense of like talking to my friends and talking to my family and talking to people who supported us because that was how we got mm -hmm. through it. And, and that made me feel, you know, better to be sure. honest. Um, and it never leaves you, right? It, you're never the same person. Um, but we've reached closure as much as we're ever going to reach closure. Um, and now it's sort of what does our family look like moving forward and how much longer can we wait or do we want to wait, you know, for the right situation to happen? Um, like, are we a one child family? And is that, is that okay? I don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a hard uh, decision. And certainly when you're in this moment in time, it, it feels so long and it feels like unending. Yes. Yeah. 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 Two years is a long time. <laughs> to wait. I know we went through two years to wait for our daughter too. So I definitely understand how long yeah. that, that is. And yeah, you know, it's, I think it comes down to, do you believe that, that healing is possible? Yes, I do. And do you want to open the door to more loss and grief? And let me say it this way. 
known loss and grief. You're you're going yeah. to have loss and grief in your life. It's but this one you're yeah, kind of, of signing up for it, yeah. or it's known. You know what's coming. You're actually saying, okay, this is I'm going to experience it in this way. I know that for sure. There's going to be other yeah. ways too. Maybe wait on the line. Yep. Maybe when I'm, but yep. you know, I'm going to have this, yep. and yep. I'm signing up for it, and I'm going to look this in the face, and we're going to do this. And that's what yeah. it comes down to: the degree of the loss and pain that your child may feel and they may feel very little or they may feel a lot. There's no way to know. That's the part that is scary. It is scary. And Mm -hmm. is that unknown? And when you're in the weight, you're living it. If I was parenting a second child right now, I think I would just be parenting, right? I would be in it. I would be moving forward. But the waiting... I think causes you to just like take a step back and reflect. Like it can be overwhelming. I feel like I've overthought and Mm overexamined and overanalyzed every possible scenario. Like how is this going to play out for our, you know, we have a bio son and what's that going to look like? And what's that sibling relationship going to look like? And what if this child, you know, has X, Y, Z in terms of issues and and how's that going to look for our family? And, you know, all the worst case scenarios, which I know are not, necessarily going to happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just as good of a chance as, you know, it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But I think really learning and listening more about a lot of the loss surrounding adoption has given me more pause Mm -hmm. um, lately. And And that means you care. And the waiting is compounding that. Yes. Yeah. No, I definitely It's for you to pause and think think about it means that that's a good thing that you're considering it. And it's those that don't even consider it go, oh, it's no big deal, whatever. And I feel like that's what I heard a lot about in the beginning. Like, I feel like people were trying to play it off as like, oh, it's just the same as like having a, you know, your biological child, which I think is people want to tell themselves to sort of normalize mm-hmm. the situation for them. And like, sure, there's a lot of things about having a child that are universal, sure. right? But this feels different to me and to not acknowledge that feels unfair mm-hmm. to everybody yeah. involved. Yeah, it is different. It's different just innately. And so, yeah, to deny that yeah. difference is almost burying your head in the sand a bit, don't you think? No, yeah. for sure. I think burying your head in the sand is a much easier way to make it through sure, in the beginning. Sure. And I think a lot of others that I've spoken to, and mostly it's been like through an you know an online forum, it's almost like when you bring up the hard stuff, people tend to say like, oh, well, that's not, that's not going to happen with mm. me. And that's not my child. You know, not all adoptees fill in the blank. Mm. And it's like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just yeah. trying to say like, it's different. And that kind of took me a little off guard because my mind, I was like, I want to learn the most about this that I can, because I want to be better prepared, you know, if things arise. Absolutely. Yeah. Instead of, well, no, not me, or it can be a response that would have been probably nice for you to hear would have been, yes, I have heard that as well. And I've learned that in those scenarios, here's a resource I can turn to, or here's a method I can use. Who can teach me something about this that I'm seeking, that I want to learn and find. And there is angst in the process. There was for me too. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget talking to a mentor. I was going through training uh, to be a therapist and she was in approaching 70 and she had basically retired and was seeing people out of her home. And it was so great because I could go to her house and she could teach me everything about therapy. And and I remember talking to her about it and I was waiting for two years for my daughter. And I remember feeling just like you. I was like, I would fret and worry. And what if this, and what if it changes my life forever? And what if yeah. my life will never be the same? She was so patient and wonderful. And after several times of talking with her, she looked at me once and she said, well, you know, you don't have to do it. <laughs> and I looked at her, I kind of was looking out the window and I whipped my head around her and looked at her and I went, what? Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize I felt that way until she told me that, but that was just my story. And, and, you know, for you, it may be opposite. Maybe, you know, if somebody says to you, you don't have to do it, you might go, 
<sighs> Phew. Thank you for letting yeah. me off the hook. You know? Well, I think that, yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of where I've allowed that to come in now to say like, we don't have you don't. to do this. Whereas two years ago when adoption was on the table in the beginning, the loss was so much more fresh for us and the feelings of like, we must have a second child and you want to move forward and you are like, I cannot take anymore. Like I need, and that's a lot of why we chose adoption was that we felt that for us, like the biology obviously matters to to the child. To, I, I don't like when people say like, oh, biology doesn't, you know, love makes a family. Well, yes, of course. But I feel like genetics are pretty powerful. And to say kind of they're not important is sort of discounting like that loss that the adoptee has kind of felt. Yeah. Like, to them, genetics are very important. So my, my response to that is, yes, love makes a family. And educated love makes a family healthy. That's a good Because I agree with you on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew if we pursued adoption, at the end of the day, we would have a child. Whereas with IVF, like you can try and try and you just don't know how that's going to end. And we sort of made that decision at the time, like, okay, this is the path forward that we are comfortable with. You know, but now that sense of urgency has dulled two years later and that's a long time and my son isn't three he's five and that's a big age difference and so I think I'm letting those thoughts of like well maybe you don't have to do this maybe this is okay mm-hmm. like you thought this wasn't okay but maybe this is okay to just mm-hmm. have one child in yeah. your family and and that's kind of what I'm grappling with back and forth but I'm like but I always sort of envisioned it a different way um but you know maybe that has changed mm-hmm. and how do I how do we get to that you get to that by trusting your feelings and trusting when, you know, when I say to you, you don't have to do this. How does that feel? And letting you off the hook, going down this path, just because you started it, you have the right to change your mind. And if it doesn't feel right for your family, you don't have to, you can complete your family and live your life. So, you know, ultimately you just have to let that sink in and digest it and and see how that feels. And do you feel liberated? Do you feel kind of lighter as the days go on, as you process it? You know, maybe there's your answer. Again, it's not that if you close this door now that you can't reopen it someday again too. Something changes your mind. Mm, I'm pretty old. (laughs) (laughs) How old are you? I'm 40 and my husband is 43 and we're in the Northeast and it's, I mean, in New York City, women have their first kids at like 42 and it's not a big deal at all. Um, But I'm also like, I, you know, I don't want to be 45 and having a second baby. Like that's not happening. Yeah. I'm I'm done. Like I think, you know, and you know, we even, I think a lot of the what ifs are creeping in too though. It's now like, well, I wish, you know, three or four years ago, like maybe we should have tried IVF again, or maybe we should have pursued donor eggs. The waiting I think has, has, forced me into like a backward spiral. <laughs> of like, No, the waiting is torture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but you're right about trying to process the, if this is what our family looks like going forward and it is one child and, and the relief, you know, there's still sadness that will come along with that, but is there mm-hmm. also relief? And is that like something that I'm okay with? And yeah, oh, I don't know though. <laughs> And just give it time. You know, it does take time for that to sink in. One thing that I find really helpful is, you know, when you have a a situation like this and so much angst and you're thinking about it and you've thought about it so many different ways, so many different times. Yeah. um, The best thing you can do right now is literally stop thinking about it. it, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. For the next three days, tell yourself that you've done the work and now let the work do the work. 
And the brain is a fascinating and complex organ that we don't even understand. While you're sleeping or just thinking about other things, it does tend to do some work for you. And like three days from now or a week from now, you're going to have an insight. You're just going to know. And maybe it'll take longer, but trust that be patient and trust that you'll have that answer and it will do the work for you. And you don't have to actively think of it anymore. Yeah. I feel like the active thinking needs to pause for a while. Definitely pause it. it Yeah. yeah. Too much active Mm -hmm. thinking, which is why I I did dive into a bunch of, you know, online groups. I have sort of pulled back from a lot of that because I felt like I gained the knowledge that I needed to gain. You know, it's all encompassing and you're just in it all the time. And I sort of said, okay, like we're hitting pause on this and we're backing up and we're not going to read any articles and we're not going to read any posts, sort of even the podcast. Like I listened to your podcast and I listened to um, the Adoptees On podcast, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I binged the whole thing and I was like, okay, I got to I had to step mm-hmm. on the brakes. Um, yeah. No, and that's sometimes that's the way people take in information is kind of binge on it. But that pause is amazing because then you can just know that your brain has absorbed is still there and you can just let it go, but it's not really going to go. It's going to sink in. It's going to settle. You're going to make connections yeah. without even having to think about it. And then in a few days, there's just going to be like this light bulb moment. You know, I think Oprah used to yeah. call them light bulb yeah. moments or aha moment. And you're going to like, dang, it's there. You didn't think you did the work, but your brain did it for you. It really does work that way. I, I promise you. So. It's, it's incredible. <laughs> and I will say that what it gives you, what it's going to give you is that inner knowing because we can seek outside of us all day long for voices and information, and you're going to get so much contradicting information out there. That's still good to know, but at the end of the day, what you want is that sense of what that inner knowledge, and that will guide you and tell you the truth for you. Yeah, and I think that's what's kind of shaking me because, in general, I am pretty good of about listening to that, you know, inner voice. Like I am okay. I'm a fairly awesome. decisive person. My husband and I are, are similar in that regard, and that we both like information and statistics and all of that stuff. But then at the end, you know, we like to take it in and, like you said, process it and sort of make your decision and move forward. And I'm not generally someone to look back and say like, oh, I should have done it differently, or oh, you know, even with the whole first round of pregnancy with my son and all of that, like as hard and awful as that time was, and as controversial as some people would say that decision was, like we feel like we made the decision that was right for us. I feel so lucky that I lived in a supportive state and an area that I had excellent doctors who didn't bat an eye and said, like, here are your options and you do what's right for you. We feel so lucky and and comfortable with that decision. Was it still hard? Yes. Was it still terrible? Yes. But I don't second guess that at all. Um, And that's why this is throwing me because I'm usually one to sort of follow my gut. And I think the waiting compounded with like the complexity of, you know, everything that comes along with adoption has really stopped me in my like tracks and is making it really hard for me to listen, to hear that voice inside going like, here's what you want. Okay. And the pause will make that become clear. Yeah. The pause, the, the letting go of active thinking. Is that hard for you to let go of the active thinking? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean... Okay. Do you have anything that works for you? Um, I like to exercise and run. That helps a lot. That helps okay. to sort of yeah. calm me and sort of, you know, it's a mm-hmm. regular part of my routine and I feel like that's my time yeah. to kind of zone out and 
Absolutely. Cause you can drop into your body. Yes. You can get out of your head and drop into the movement of your body. Yeah. 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 Doing that. And you know, if your mind runs and you can't just clear it, some personality types can't clear their mind. What you can do is uh, pick a word or a mantra, Mm -hmm. some people call it, and just repeat that word. Certain brain types need to have something to chew on, but we don't want it to be any actual active thought. So we want it to be like a passive. So you can pick a word or, you know, if you're a visual person, you can pick an image. And, and then I also, there's some thought clearing techniques that I teach people to. Okay. I can do that. Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing that's hard about all this is that I also feel like when we do make the decision, if we decide that our family is complete and we are done, I feel like that's going to bring with it a whole other like trauma in and of itself, even though we'll feel confident in that being the right decision, I feel like it's going to open up like this whole other, the loss and the grief, like all over again, (laughs) that like, I felt like I dealt with once already. And now I have to deal with again. And that's another piece of me that's like very hesitant around making the decision, you know, to keep this up or say we're done because I know what that's going to feel like. And I know the work I'm going to have to put into that. And that is just, it's exhausting. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I just, don't know if I have it in me. I mean, I do, but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. to, to have to go through mm-hmm. all that again and say, okay, this is what our family now looks like. And maybe it's not what we thought it would have looked like in the beginning, but how do you move forward from there? It sounds like, you know, how, you know, how you have to step through the feelings, work through that loss and let go of the child or the family you imagined yeah. having. Yeah. I know, but I know how hard it is too. And that's, it's almost like it's better when you don't know how hard that's going to be, you know? That's the part that's a little bit like daunting to me to think of, okay, I'm going to have to do the work to be okay with the decision that we make if we say we're done and this is okay. Yeah. And that is thinking ahead too. And you know, what's coming, you see what is coming. The more you can take it one day at a time, it'll help you to feel less overwhelmed. You might also find that if you do some therapy around it, losses tend to, in our brain, we, we sort of categorize them in a theme. And you might find that the work you've done around the losses you've mm-hmm. experienced already, you might be able to move through this quicker, not because it's any less important, but because it's like in the same thing and that you've done. <laughs> yeah. And you've done the work. And so you might find that it's not quite yeah. as lengthy as it was before. You know how to do it. You're practiced at it. And it's kind of in the same yeah. area of the That's brain. True. It may bring up the previous trauma. You might be surprised the previous trauma comes yeah. up more than, than this, this trauma. This, yeah. And that may be because there's layers that you haven't yeah. uncovered yet. You'll just, you know, go into that and, and maybe that's where you're wanting to keep at bay a bit. It doesn't bring the decision you made into question at all. It just means that there's layers mm-hmm. of emotion that yeah. are still there. And that's just, that's what grief is. That's what yeah. grief does. And you think you're over it and then you're like, yeah, not another layer. Eventually it is gone and you do look through it all. And and it is a place you can come out. I think it's also like, it's been such a big part of our life and my life for the last eight years, pretty much. Like it has been, you know, this pause in waiting on the adoption has really been the only sort of exhale we've taken in, you know, since all of this began, you know, it's seven years ago or eight years ago at this point. So it's closing that chapter and saying, okay, like that is the past and this future does not involve like 
growing your family anymore? And what does that look like? And what does that feel like? And that's all like really scary and sort of unknown also. So I don't know. I think that's Mm -hmm. playing a big part in it too. It's more than just like, are we moving forward with this adoption or not? It's sort of like, are we moving forward with this idea of like a family looking different than it did before? Are we closing that chapter or sort of, I don't know. It feels very big. It is a big decision, but it feels more so than, I don't know. If I were to just say, oh, like a normal family, like I'm just going to get pregnant and have a second kid, which is a big decision. But when you do it naturally, it seems a little less like a... Out of your control. Sort of like, okay, this is what we're doing, but we're not going about it that way. So yeah. Does it seem final? Like this is is it? Yeah. Like when you kind of said, it's okay to not like move forward. It's okay to change your mind. Like part of me does feel a little relief, Mm -hmm. but then on the flip side of that, thinking of like that finality makes me really sad because I always thought I would have two kids. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought I would give my child a sibling. I'm an only child. So I was like, you know, we'll have another. And thinking about not doing that is like sad. It is sad. A lot of women don't talk about that period in your family growing um, when you know you're not going to have any more kids and you're done, no matter how many kids you have, that when you know you're done, I think that there's a transition and you go from anything is possible and what is my life going to look like to, oh my gosh, this is done. And it's very final. I remember thinking, okay, so if this is done and this is it, then what else is there? Like it's the, this is it, you know? And that is frightening. It is scary. And especially for people who, you know, you want that. Some people are ready for it. Like, okay, this is it. I'm good. But other people are like, you know, really still wanting that possibility of what could yeah. still be? And does this also mean my youth I mean, yeah. is over? Because <laughs> now this, this is it. like, yeah, I know it's like scary. And it's, and it's, it is, it's, there's a period of a lot of women go through a period yeah. of depression with that final decision and knowing that that is normal. And I mean, it is normal to go through yeah. it. It is. You either spend your life like trying not to get pregnant or trying to get pregnant. And then when you're thinking about yeah. those years being kind of done, like it's definitely sobering and yeah, it's a, a new face. And you sort of, you know, I can't believe like in my head, I'm still 24. And like, when did this happen? <laughs> like, I'm, you know, yeah. it's crazy how fast it goes. Yeah, very final. And I think that's playing into the decision too, because I feel like then I have to face all of that. And it's like, oh, it's exactly- yeah. Well, I think it's also important to realize that having children and growing your family is about creating. It's creation. And like as humans, we feel most alive when we're creating something. What I learned is that even though I was closing the door on creating more of my family, that I could open a new door in creating something new and something else that's had as much excitement and power. Now that's hard to find because, you know, if you really like being a mom and you like, you know, having babies or just being a mom, it's hard to find that thing that now we can continue to create something new. And that isn't a child. So yeah, so I would just say to you, you know, if you decide that adoption isn't the right choice for you, to focus your energy on creating mm-hmm. something else for you. And what does that look like? And what does that feel like? And what gets you excited again? And what can bring passion? It may take a yeah. while to figure it out. Anything that like enters your radar that is excites you, even if it's super random, like I love yeah. a pogo stick <laughs> like, yeah. all of a sudden. And you're like, well, that's a waste of time. Why am I doing it? No. If that makes you excited, then go because it's showing you a direction. It's taking you somewhere and you don't know where it's going to lead and it may not make sense for a while. But I think that's what we continue to need as we get older is we need to be able to continue to create. That's true. 
even yeah, if it's for no, babies. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Especially yeah, when it's I mean, babies. yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's, it's a different phase of life, like you said. Like it's you know going back to the initial question of like, do I want to go back to that phase of like having an infant? And, you know, I, I also though have the hindsight of knowing that when you're in it, it feels never ending and awful, but it goes so quickly. And, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how I have a five-year-old, like, I feel like I just had him, but you know, if you had asked me six months in, I would have said, this is awful. And when is, you know, when is he going to get a little bigger and when is he going to be able to do more on his own? And then you kind of turn around and it's, it's mm-hmm. done. And that's, I think coming to terms with that is, is also a lot. Yeah. I think this episode is going to help so many people because I think there are so many people that are feel exactly like you do. Like, have you encountered people who have started the adoption journey and then have sort of said, you know what, like, I don't think this is the right road or not so much. Yes. It's okay to change your mind. It feels weird though. It feels very, (laughs) feels expensive, but that's a whole other problem. Um, It just feels like, like, I don't know. I don't tend to be a mind changer. So to, to sort of be in this position, it's not where we thought we would be. And that's, I think, what's throwing everything kind mm-hmm. of for a loop. Yeah, it's that curveball that life throws you. And and it feels unsteady. And it probably makes the, you know, almost like metaphorically, the ground feel yeah. unstable oh, totally. underneath you. And, and that like, challenges you yeah, personally. Yeah, it feels like you're living sort of mm-hmm. in this, like you can't move completely forward with your life. I don't know, it feels like you're in sort of in between because you're waiting for this thing to happen that may or may not happen and that may or may not turn out a certain way. And it's just very unsettling place to be. It is. You are in the in-between or in the, in my book, I use a grief model, the Carlisle grief model. And the in-between is also called the no dream. And so you don't have a dream. Yeah. Like right now you're like, we don't go through forward with adoption. So I, that's not my new dream anymore. So now yeah, I don't that's have totally a dream. Right. That's now ex- I'm just exactly. Done. That's exactly so right. Yeah. So what do I do next? It can be a very dark place. You can feel lost. You can have, you can feel depressed and, you know, kind of stuck and hopeless, you know, going into the new dream and starting to see the new dream. Yeah. It can take time, you know, as you continue getting comfortable with that place of being in the middle. And it is, it's a place of angst yeah. and frustration and yeah. pain. But knowing that's part of the process and that it's normal and everyone goes through it, oh, I think helps. Sure. It puts a definition to like exactly what it feels like. It, it does. It feels like you're sort of like, you're not moving backwards, but you're not moving forward. So you're not really moving anywhere. <laughs> you're just yeah. in limbo. You're in and limbo. It's terrible. Yeah. And you're in the middle. Yeah. I have to mention this song that I love when you're in the middle called <laughs> The Middle by Jimmy oh, Eat World. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm sure you've heard yeah. it. But if you listen to the lyrics, it's um, it's really great for any age. And, you know, it's it just takes some yeah. time. You're in the middle and everything yeah. will be all right. So I love that. And I trust me, I've played it for myself yeah. when I'm in the yeah. middle. <laughs> just, I wanted to tell people, if you're listening to, you can get my workbook, Three Makes Baby. The Three Makes Baby Workbook it has a copy of the Carlisle Grief Model that we okay. talked about, Jennifer, and it it shows the the dream, the no dream, and the new dream. It's a big illustration with a lot of graphics and oh, stuff cool. that you can read and get delve in deeper into that whole idea of grieving and what stages okay. of grief you're in. It's a little bit more intense than the stages of grief okay. that you've heard yep, before, yep. like denial, yeah. bargaining, acceptance. Yeah, it's not it's not that. It's actually kind of what we spoke about. It's more this okay. being in the middle and oh, yeah, okay. where do we go cool. from there? So good to know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was great you. talking thank with you, you today. Thank you so much. It was really helpful just to hear Absolutely. your perspective on it and sort of like be able to take a step back and kind of, you know, 
analyze it from, from afar a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, keep me posted if you know, as in a few months, you want to reach back out and just kind of tell me where you're at. I like to update the listeners too. I will. Well, I'm going silent for a few days, so I'm not going to be thinking about anything. (laughs) I'm going to clear my brain. No, yeah, no, not for a few. I'm giving you months, months. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow for more content, you can go to my Instagram and Facebook account at Jana Repnow LPC or follow Three Makes Baby on Instagram. You can get a copy of my book and the companion workbook to Three Makes Baby on Amazon. If you like this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe. Have a great day.